right, well, Sal, Salvador Sanchez, welcome to the podcast. Um, on this week's episode of Based on a True Story, we have on a very special guest, a guy named Salvador Sanchez, a local business owner here in Lexington who owns a coffee shop uh, and a good friend of ours. He's been friends with me for about eight years now. Um, I think we accidentally walked into his coffee shop either the first or second day it was open. Um, our buddy's car broke down in front, and so we went in and we're like, hey guys, let's get some coffee while we're here. Um, so yeah, we're excited to have Sal on. Um, a couple firsts for the podcast, our first in-person interview, which is great, um, and also our first local person that is not a client of ours, just a friend, a business owner, someone that we love and that we respect a lot and so we just are excited to hear from sal and every all the wisdom that he has to offer so welcome on to the podcast sal thanks how are you doing i'm good <laughs> did you like that introduction i loved it <laughs> um all right well let's just start like really simply um let's hear a little bit about your backstory before you opened a coffee shop and then kind of opening the shop and then kind of where we are now yeah. Um, so I was born and raised in Michigan and, uh, I'll jump to like the coffee part of it. Uh, when I was about 15, my parents were pretty adamant about me getting a job and taking care of myself. So I started looking for jobs and there was a young lady that was working in a place that was half barbecue shop, half coffee shop. And I really wanted to date her. So I started working there. All right. <laughs> Uh, and then I fell in love with coffee. So, um, that business model obviously doesn't work. So it closed within nine months. Uh, and I stuck with coffee, went to college, studied business, creative writing and Spanish literature. Um, in the meantime, I just kept staying in the coffee industry and I just kept learning and, um, water street coffee joint was the company I worked for in Kalamazoo and still a huge fan and supporter of, um, a lot of great mentors came from there for me. Uh, and then from there, I had known that I wanted to start my own business. So I just needed to figure out exactly where and when and how to do that. I knew that I didn't come from a lot of money, so I had to save up and be ready for that. So I started looking for a job in a corporation uh, in Texas. And uh, I found Hastings Entertainment, and they were looking for someone to be an assistant to a director. I was like, I'm fine trying something out. I don't have a lot of friends and family there, uh, so I can be focused on it, which becomes a habit in my life. Uh, and moved there, got the job, and I just kind of worked my way up like the you know stereotypical corporate ladder. Uh, the my supervisor ended up losing his job, so they just said, you know, here is. I think 70, 75 coffee shops that you can start working with. We needed to grow it uh, and just kind of learn. So I started networking, uh, ended up eventually becoming their director of coffee shops and customer service. It was 150 stores across the country. Uh, I got a ton of knowledge there, um, acquired more mentors. And then uh, as I was getting ready to start the business, I knew that I just had to change my mindset because when you're obviously thinking about 150 stores, you think very differently than one store. So I started looking for jobs to kind of pull me from 150 to less and then to eventually do one again. So I worked for Whole Foods then uh, in Austin and I was their uh, regional person for coffee, tea, chocolate, spices, and housewares. And so that built some more knowledge there. Uh, and then I partnered up with a good friend and we 
looked at different cities uh, as far as where we could open up a shop. Uh, and there's a lot of things we were looking for. We were looking for a decent sized city that didn't have a lot of coffee shop saturation yet. Uh, we wanted it to be like fun. We wanted a uh, university town or a college town. Um, we wanted to be kind of bubbling a bit like Austin was maybe 30 years ago. Um, so Lexington was basically just check, 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 check right after another. So we moved to Lexington, uh, and then we opened up the shop, and uh, that's eight-ish years ago now. So. That's crazy. There's a, I mean, there's so much to unpack there. Like, that's very, it's very coffee heavy. Mm -hmm. And so, like, my first question that's, like, a very surface-level kind of question is, did you ever, at some point, be like, I've fallen out of love with this thing. Like, I don't care about coffee anymore. Or do you fight that battle, like, regularly? Like, how does that kind of work? Yeah, uh, I think... I think anytime, uh, in a weird way, I guess talking about love, you you could potentially fall out of love, but there's there's this intention behind it to make sure that you stay in love with, whether it be people or uh, businesses or whatever you care about. So there is an element of sometimes you do get tired of it and you get frustrated. And there's over the years I've been like, why do I like coffee so much? But I've often come back to the idea of community, um, the culture it brings, and just that fun service level of, of what you get in a coffee shop or just um, from beginning to end, from seed to cup, that style of uh, the or the business uh, and industry just makes it really fun and, and easy to fall in love with and stay in love with. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, there are times where I'm like, I just don't want to drink coffee for months. <laughs> uh, um, and, it, it, yeah, it's very coffee heavy, but um, I think – in most people's lives, uh, there is some element of coffee. I mean, it's all around us. It's really tough not to have it uh, be in your life, whether you're drinking at the beginning of the day or whether it's a way to like bring people together and hang out. Um, it's very much in our vernacular now. Where it's like, hey, let's go meet up and have a cup of coffee. So there, there's something about it that has just brought people together, and that makes it very easy to stay in my life. That's um, awesome. What, uh, what do you think, like, when you were first opening up your shop, uh, what did you feel like you were doing that was different and that was bringing, like, something new to the table for the city of Lexington? I know what it is. I can say a dozen things. But what were you, like, what were your goals that were like, this will – be different because I'm going to do these things. Uh, yeah. So the, the one thing I noticed in the businesses and people and organizations that I liked, they always kind of came back to three pillars and that's community service and culture. And I found that to be really just compelling for me. And I, and I wanted to do something like that because I think anyone can open a business, but most entrepreneurs we're trying to solve a problem. Uh, we're trying to find some way to make the world or things around us better. Uh, so I really wanted to open something that was built on like a mission. So our mission statement is embrace community, serve others, create culture. And I want us to make every decision based off of that uh, and then always go back to that. If we're doing something, it doesn't feel right. We're like, well, are we following this mission statement? And then um, we can pull ourselves back, which we've done over the years. Like, this doesn't make sense. Let's go back to our roots and, and what we know is right. Um, and I'd seen other businesses as they've grown, they would say, hey, here's our mission statement or here's what we believe in. But when it came down to it and they had to appease shareholders or they had to make a profit or they just want to put more money in their pockets, they were happy to throw it away or even just bend it from time to time. And I just didn't want to do that. I wanted to at least prove to myself and hopefully to others that you can have a business or an organization and stick to this. Um, and it's really hard. I mean, there's definitely times where we would get these great opportunities and we could do that and it would be a lot of money, but we had to decide, is this our mission? And that's not. Um, and it's 
I think, uh, very different than a lot of other organizations and businesses and just even uh, conversations I've had with people over the years. Um, and, I, and I like the fact that we're unwavering in it. But it's brought about so many cool things. So like the Pay It Forward board is created because it was something that we felt tied to our mission. Yeah, well, you, I mean, I know what that is, but at the time I didn't, you know, mm-hmm. eight years ago when I, I was like, what is this thing? Um, I'm sure a lot of people that are listening will know, but can you just kind of explain what that is? Yeah. Uh, so historically, I mean, in, in a lot of ways, but in the coffee world, uh, there is like suspended coffee. So people would buy coffee for people that maybe either couldn't afford it or it was just down their luck. And so that would, that was spread throughout, you know, Europe, America, Australia, like a lot of different places. Um, and then, here uh, in the United States, you can see often people will buy somebody a cup of coffee for the person behind them in like the Starbucks drive through line. So there's this, this fun element and energy of it. Uh, when I was working at Whole Foods, we were always charged with coming up with something innovative when we opened up a new store. So one of the things that we did in Bee Cave, Texas, was we uh, created Buy Your Buddy a Beer um, and really... Willie Nelson lives in B Cave, so we were just hoping we could like attract him. Yeah, of course. <laughs> uh, which didn't work. It might have worked since I've been gone, but um, but I love that concept. And I was like, oh, that's kind of fun. Uh, so when we were opening Cup, we thought, let's do something that is like a pay it forward board, you know, extending goodwill to someone ahead of time um, and just kind of making that this fun ripple effect. Uh, and we didn't think it was going to be anything big. We were just like, we'll just have like a little board next to the register and people can buy a drink and we'll save it. Uh, and then we decided let's put it on the back wall on a butcher paper and we'll like list these drinks. Um, and what was really cool about Lexington is that people ended up just loving this. And so now in our original location, we have two bathrooms in like this hallway and on both walls, it's just covered with free drinks. So at any given time you can walk in there and there's about 2000 drinks just waiting. Um, and sometimes there are any drink for anyone. Other times it's if you do 10 push-ups in front of everybody in the coffee shop, you get a drink. Um, we've had somebody act like a chicken for 10 minutes. And it's just like random things. So there's a lot of fun elements to it that like brings community. But there's also just like really feel-good moments where um, people are just buying a drink for anyone that's next in line. Uh, and it's been really fun to kind of watch. And it's allowed us to share stories and experiences and, and just make something special about the coffee shop that isn't always in a coffee shop. Yeah. I mean, there are like written on some of the sleeves, you know, there's a free drink for a single mother or mm-hmm. a free drink for a, a veteran or for a student that's struggling through exams right now. You can find a drink for you. Like there will be a drink for you if you do need a drink for free. And so I do think that that, I mean, the way that's grown is like insane. Yeah. And it's, it's funny because there's, there's a feeling of the coffee shop, the original location is like, um, we just like ride on the edge of a lightning bolt where we've extended the pay it for model to our other shops and it's never been as large. Um, there's something very special about that location. And, and the choice that we made to put the shop on Eastern and main, um, it's this, uh, connection where a lot of different universes collide. So we have East end, we have downtown, we have Belcourt. So there's different socioeconomic, um, parts of the city that all converge there. Uh, and so there's, to me, something really special about that location. And obviously I'm a little biased, but I can look to the other shops that we've opened and they don't have that same energy, um, which is not an insult to them in any way. It's just that there's something interesting about Cup and watching those pay it forwards explode and just keep growing and yeah. more and more customers coming in and buy it. It's, it's just a fun, a, a fun thing, I think, in the city of Lexington. Yeah. When did you decide to start opening new shops? Um, so... When I was working for like corporate America, I always had that like growth in mind of you want to grow, you want to, it's that whole, like, if you're not growing, you're dying kind of mentality. And I always had that in me, but, 
um, there was a part of me that really just wanted to open a shop and do it uh, in a way where I'd hire some part-time baristas, I could take vacation whenever I wanted, not grow, just like have it really small. And that was kind of the idea with the shop. Um, but then, and I think this probably happens to a lot of people, you get people that are working for you and you care for them and you want to see them like move up and build a career um, or they're just, they're staying around and they don't want to just be a part-time barista forever. So you start growing like you would even like a family where you're like, well, just, this is just going to expand. Uh, and so there was a little bit of control, but there was also a little bit of just accepting how it evolves. Yeah. Um, and I think there's something really special about people entering a business, whether it's a restaurant, whether it's um, a coffee shop, whether it's a marketing firm, it's fun for people to see the evolution of a business. Like um, so often, I think even nowadays people start something and they're like, it has to be perfect. And, and I'm a big believer in just do it down and dirty and let people see the evolution because there is some pride that they take mm. to that business that they love and support. Um, so that part of it uh, is, I think has been fun for customers to see us expand. And so as we were looking, we're debating, what do we do? Do we open another shop? Do we, uh, do we do a restaurant? Do we do a bar? Like what exactly, how do we grow? Um, and we never want to be too cookie cutter. So the very first thing we were looking at was a second location, but not exactly like a cup of Commonwealth. Um, and as we're doing that, uh, we ended up acquiring Magic Beans Coffee Roasters. So that's when we started roasting. We always wanted to, to roast. Uh, and then a, a local roaster here in town um, was leaving town and he wanted to make sure it was like, the next steward of this company um, were people that he respected. So he reached out and it, we acquired that. Um, and then we decided to open Chocolate Holler, which is um, basically this um, almost like a French broad or a Ghirardelli. It's like a specialty hot chocolate shop, um, but it was so different from a cup of Commonwealth. And that was kind of the goal with it. Um, so we opened that and then uh, people kept moving up in the company and new positions were created and then other people wanted to move up in the company. So it was like, well, we have to keep growing. And, um, so then we opened up another coffee shop, um, and then another coffee shop, and then we turned one of the coffee shops into a chocolate shop. So it's just, it's kind of growing naturally, which I like, and it, it, it brings peace to me where I'm not setting it up where originally I was like, we need to have this done and this done. And now it's more of, let's just let it evolve yeah. um, and we can set goals, but our goals are, you know, how are we growing um, in very fundamental results? Um, how are we developing people? How are we adding insurance to more employees? How do we add in bonuses? And so we're finding ways that are more of, these are the things that we can control um, knowing that sometimes a location will pop up and we'll get an opportunity and we'll open that way, um, but we'll pull back. And we have done that over the years if we, open something and we feel like our mission is getting tested too much and we're afraid that we would lose that fundamental um, part of who we are or our core, our guiding light, we will pull back. Uh, and I love and I'm really proud of the fact that we're very comfortable doing that. Yeah, I mean, that's incredible. I think just kind of go back to what you said originally, like you scale because of out of care for your employees. Mm -hmm. I mean, like in wanting to watch them grow and advance in their career, like I've known you for a while and you've never come across me as a guy who's like really driven by getting rich or by being famous mm -hmm. or by being the coffee guy of Lexington. Like you've become that and you fly under the radar still, but like the concept of like, I'm going to scale and grow this business so that I can take care of the people in my business is like one of the coolest things mm -hmm. ever. I think it speaks so highly to your character. Um, I think also what you said about having that comfort and scaling back because oftentimes when people, I think specifically in the restaurant and coffee industry, like 
they see success in a, a place and they're like, this is awesome. Let's double it. Like, mm-hmm. let's just open another location or a third location. And it, and then like within weeks you see the quality deteriorating mm-hmm. and like, it seems like it's just automatic for people to want to scale when they, f- when they see success. Mm-hmm. And so I think like it does make sense, but also there are times when it shouldn't happen. Mm-hmm. Like you should get your, your stuff together before you're ready to scale. And so watching you all successfully scale and maintain and sustain these multiple coffee shops that are all successful in their own ways. I mean, chocolate hauler for people that don't know, like the, the main location cup of Commonwealth is kind of that downtown urban vibe with like windows everywhere. It's super bright in there. It's really welcoming. Everyone screams hello to you when you walk in and then you have a chocolate hauler, you know, that's literally a few blocks away, a little bit closer uh, to our campus, University of Kentucky, and it's more of a dark, like there's a lot of like wood tables in there and you kind of have a moodier vibe and you walk in there and oftentimes you see a lot of people studying and working remote and that kind of stuff. And so, and then you have another location that's literally on campus and it, you know, is more of a hustle and bustle. And so like watching all of these coffee shops kind of thrive in their own lane has been amazing. Like I don't, I don't know many like owners of restaurants who have been success, successful in scaling in the city of Lexington. Um, so it's, I mean, it's been awesome to watch you. And I think like the way you take care of your people is the biggest thing there. Like you can't scale without people that you Mm -hmm. trust. How do you find people? (laughs) Like, I mean, like your teams are always amazing Mm -hmm. and like people come and go in your world. Mm -hmm. Um, but you always find rock stars. Like, Mm -hmm. is it your hiring process? Is it just because you are gifted? Like what, what do you think? allows you to find great people and train them up to be successful? Uh, such a loaded question. <laughs> uh, Talk about how awesome yeah. you are. <laughs> uh, I do. I mean, I think there's a lot in uh, selection and hiring and training and it's, I mean, it's all wrapped up in one. Um, one of the, uh, I think a cool thing that we do with our interview process is that it's pretty long and I'm of the belief that Whatever, however your target audience interprets your business, those employees should have um, be interviewed in a very tough way because they're representing the company all the time. Um, so our baristas, unlike many other coffee shops, have to go through a pretty rigorous interview process. Um, first, they obviously apply. Um, and up until like this whole great resignation, we really didn't ever have issues of people reaching out. So we finally, for the first time, were like putting out ads like, hey, we're hiring. Um, but before then, we never did. It was just people would come to us, which was really nice. Or um, we would have a referral by an employee that like this person should come and work for us, which made it a lot easier. Um, uh, but we basically have a phone screen. Um, so we reach out to the people and kind of talk to them. Um, then we do a group interview, then a panel interview, and then a shop interview. Um, and so the each aspect of that's a little bit different. The group interview, um, it might be myself and our director of ops doing that interview. And we might have 20 people in a room together um, and we're interviewing them and we're really trying to see, are they going to be able to interact in this business? And we put them in an awkward situation because so often when you're dealing with customers, you could be in an awkward situa- situation. And we're seeing how they relate to other people because as a barista, we want them to be able to relate to customers and make sure that it's about the customers and not necessarily completely about them. They're, the way that we look at it is we are a part of these people's chapters in their lives. Um, 
So that doesn't mean that we're insignificant. It just means that we also want to make sure that when they come in, they are the protagonists of their story. And so we look for that in the group interview. Uh, and then the panel interview is a little bit different where there's about three or four of us interviewing one person. So if you move through the group interview, you have your panel interview. Um, and then that one's a little bit more of a typical interview where we're going through their resume. We're making sure that um, this makes sense for us um, and it makes sense for them because we want them to be happy. Uh, and then if they move through there, they do a shop interview which we actually have them behind the register and we're just seeing their customer service skills. We know it's awkward. Um, our regulars who have been seeing us do this over the years, they know it's awkward. So they know that it's just like a strange situation, um, but we get to see how they're gonna handle that situation. And that is really important because when they're put behind the bar and if you're looking at like the original location, we get slammed in the morning. And so we need people to be able to like interact effectively and be able to move and, and know they can still give quality service through all of that. Um, and then if they get through, they get hired. The, the other catch on all of this is that they have to have all yeses. So they have to be interviewed by at least five people in the company um, and they can't have a single no. So anywhere in that process, if even a barista that's been working there for three months says no, that person is not hired. And we do that for a lot of reasons. One of the biggest is that we're all accountable now. Everyone that said yes wants to make sure that the person succeeds. So they're really trying hard during training um, to make sure that person does well. And they're trying to, we're trying to see if they fit into the culture because Sometimes it's just not for everyone. And I think that's really important. Like often people are like, well, I want to grab the best person. Well, the best person for you might be very different than the best person for the business down the street. And I, through our interview process, often we'll realize, hey, this isn't right. I mean, it might not even be right at the right time. And we've had plenty of people that have gone through interview process twice and then gotten hired. But the first time it just didn't make sense. And the second time it did. Um, and I think that's completely fine. So they go through this rigorous um, interview process, and then during training, um, they also have this giant training program. So at the beginning, they have orientation, um, and then we have what we call three floater shifts. They're almost like bar backs and kind of helping out the baristas. Um, then they'll have uh, uh, bar basics, which is about eight hours of just learning how to make all the drinks separate from the shop. So they're not having to deal with customers. They're just learning the fundamentals of drink building and recipe building. Um, then they'll come in and they'll do two uh, bar shifts, one with a trainer right next to them, and then two where they're kind of working and the trainer's there, but they're working a shift together to see how they handle it. Then they'll have two register shifts. Um, and nowadays, all the POS systems are super easy to in interact with. So when we say register shifts, it's not that they're learning how to do the register because anyone can do it. I can pull anyone off the street and they can pick up a register pretty quickly. We're talking about how they lead a shift, how they interact with customers. Can they talk about the pay it forward board? Can they do multiple things at once? Um, and so those take two shifts. One, again, where the trainer's right there with them and another one where the trainer's kind of on the bar and they're on the register. Um, then we have what we call mastering zones. And so they're learning now register, bar, and that bar back area and kind of trying to work through that effort effortlessly. And they'll do that two shifts. And then they'll have a review shift just to get them ready. Um, are they comfortable? Uh, and then we'll have an evaluation shift with the manager. And then that manager is on that evaluation shift. They're making sure they can make every single drink on the menu, um, evaluating how they're handling things, customer service. And they take a written test on everything that they've learned. Um, and our goal through training is we try to hit two learning styles at all times. Uh, and the reason being is most of us have like a primary and a secondary learning style. Um, so often, uh, will teach by speaking. And that is great for auditory learners, but that misses visual and kinesthetic learners. And in retail, most people learn visually or just doing things. Oh, yeah. So it's really important for us to hit too. So maybe we will do, teach in a way that it's just auditory, but if we can do another one, at least we hit either their primary or secondary learning style. And that's really important for them to like 
get these things tattooed in their head. Um, so through that whole training process, that's why we do multiple ways of operating. We've and sometimes the written test will turn into an oral test depending on someone's learning style. And so just really make sure that they're ready. And then when they're ready um, to go, we consider them a level one barista. And then we have ongoing training where there's a level two, there's a level three. We move people up in like shift leads, managerial role. And then we have like different studies to move up in the company. Um, but part of that is, one, we want to make sure that people are the right fit for us, not in a bad way. But I mean, there's other coffee shops that people might want to work at that make more sense for them. Um, and then two, for the training process, we definitely look in terms of investment. Like we want to invest in these people because one, if they stay here, we want them to be successful and enjoy what they like. And two, even if we get to be like a small part of their journey in life, it's really fun to be able to say like, hey, we helped them here and they moved on to another company. And so that's always exciting. And we've had plenty of employees that have done that. And honestly, it would be ridiculous for us to try to hold people in because they interact with so many customers in the morning doctors, lawyers, um, CEOs of some of the marketing companies here in town, that they're going to recruit those people one way or the other. So let's just help them prepare for that. Like there's nothing that I can do about it. So <laughs> it's, it's really simple. Um, yeah. And they get recruited all the time. So it's just a matter of if we keep them happy, they can stay here um, for their portion of this portion of their life um, and have a really good experience with it. And then a lot of them become regular customers to the shop. And so we see them all the time. It's um, great. I mean, I've seen it with so many of your people who mm -hmm. end up, you know, staying for for years and then leave to go on to other things. Mm -hmm. And it never seems like a sour exit. It mm -hmm. seems like a welcomed, like we're happy for you. Mm -hmm. We're, we're thrilled you're moving on to like another phase of your life. Um, I think that's cool. So one question about your training process, how long is that period? Typically, how long does that end up being? Yeah. It, it, so it depends on, uh, their availability. Some employees can only work, you know, 15 hours a week. So that might take them two or three months. Okay. Um, some that are full-time, they can knock it out pretty quickly. Um, maybe in a few weeks. Um, it really just depends on their availability and the availability of the trainer. So, uh, we have like our own train the trainer program. So some trainers can't train on different things. There's only two people that can do our bar basics training. So if they're not available, that also kind of slows your training down a bit. Um, and that also, again, is making us accountable to, we can't just like any, let anyone train anyone on any shift. Um, some people are just going to be better at it than others. Um, and, and they're going to be trained in the ability to train at that level. Yeah, no, that I mean, teaching is a skill in and of itself. So mm -hmm. that makes a ton of sense. Do you oftentimes get to the end of a training? And I, I didn't mean to say oftentimes, do you ever get to the end of a training period, whether it's a month or three months and be like, we've invested so much into this, but it's just not going to work. Sure. Yeah, no, um, definitely has happened. We try our best to not let it happen. Uh, and with that is the interview process. Um, and then through training, everyone is trying to be, we're all culpable of the success of this person. So we're all trying to make sure that they do well. Um, so it doesn't happen often, but every once in a while it does. And so there's a few elements to that. One is if we've realized through training that they might not make it, we let them know ahead of time. So there's been plenty of baristas that we pulled aside and we're like, you're about 50, 50 about making through this training. Um, and most of them fortunately have been able to step up and they're like, oh, they're really serious about this training. I need to like take this to heart. And we'll, we've had like one or two, um, that just are like, I'm still going to do how I'm doing and then it doesn't work out for them. Yeah. And we've had some that are like, oh, I'm not going to work here. Like I can't do this yeah. and that's fine. And part of that training process is another way for us to have good turnover. Yeah. Um, and we want good turnover. So if we, if you don't want to be there, we want you to leave. And what happens most of the time when a barista has gone through that interview process and that long training, they end up being committed and want to stay for a while because they've just put in all this time Yeah. <laughs> and they don't want to just like, oh, I'm done now. So, well, in the same vein, I, I want to talk about this a little bit more. The, the great resignation that you kind of mentioned before, I 
think a lot of small businesses are experiencing this. I think a lot of mid-sized businesses are, are experiencing this where people are understanding that it's okay to, to leave a business mm -hmm. and move on. And it's also okay for a business owner to tell a person you don't fit here mm -hmm. and it's not good for you. And it's especially not good for us. Mm -hmm. Um, those are not easy conversations to mm -hmm. have on either side. It's not easy for the employee and it's not easy for the employer. Um, you do not shy away from that mm -hmm. at all. You never have. Mm -hmm. I mean, you, I think want to make it as clean and quick and simple as possible. Mm -hmm. How, like, how do you do that? Like what, I, I'm having a hard time like kind of asking this question, but like, I know you obviously see a ton of benefit in it. So mm -hmm. what's your mindset there with that? Uh, I think what I've learned is that it's just easier to be really honest with the employee. It just saves a lot of time. Um, and I have been fortunate enough that for whatever reason, I am given this image of like the nice guy. And so often employees are like, I'm going to walk all over sales. So when we get into these situations, conversations, it kind of throws them off. And so they're not expecting it. Um, and then I think that they also are a little bit, their guards down, so a little bit more honest with me. And they're like, oh yeah, actually I'm not enjoying this. I'm like, okay, great. Well, like, what do we need to do to either make you enjoy it or get you into a place that you're going to like. Um, and I think a lot of times they appreciate that. And the nice thing is once you sit down and talk to someone face to face, I think with that communication, you can come up with a solution. Um, oftentimes they finally do admit like, I just don't like it here. Like, okay, well here are other places that you could work at. And as long as they're not a bad employee, it's just more of unhappiness. We can find a place like, Hey, let's talk to other businesses that might want to hire you. Or what do you need help with? we can sit down and look at your resume. We can practice with your interview skills, whatever you need to make sure that you're in a better place because that only helps us out and them out. So, um, that part of it has always been really easy for me. And I think that at a really young age, I was just thrown into some jobs where I didn't always have the greatest of bosses. I've had amazing bosses, but I've also had some bad bosses like anyone. Mm -hmm. Um, and a lot of them were afraid of conflict. Most of my bad bosses were just not great with conflict. And so they would just say, hey, Sal, can you take care of this? So I was, I mean, as a teenager, super nervous, really uncomfortable having these like really tough conversations. But now looking back on it, it made me ready because as a 15 year old, I didn't know how to fire anyone, but I knew that my boss wasn't comfortable with it. And she was like, do this. Uh, um, <laughs> wow. And then so you just learn. And uh, it's not in a good way. It ma it's made me uh, apply things very differently in this business of, I don't want someone else to go through some of those things. Um, and I think parenting, I mean, parents probably do the exact same thing where I don't want them to go through this. I want them to learn, but I don't want them to go through something unnecessary. Right. Um, so that is part of it. I think with the great resignation that we have um, learned is that people can you know work in different places um the service industry we all know um employees have been treated like shit and so it's it's getting them to getting them and customers to understand that uh we want to give good customer service but if a customer is not respectful um, and we've talked to our employees about this too they have every right to handle the situation in the way they feel is necessary because there is something to be said about being disrespected. And over the years in the service industry, customers felt like they could disrespect people yep. and that they, were, they would get away with it. Um, and one of the things that we teach in training is the customer isn't always right. I right. mean, there's no one in this world that is always right. <laughs> so we tell the employees that like, it's not our job to prove that they're wrong. Um, and if we can handle a situation to make sure they're happy, let's do that. But once they disrespect you, they've crossed a the line yeah. and we're not going to accept that. Um, and I think that's, good for the employees to hear and know. Often. Well, yeah. I mean, as an employer, you have to let it be known to your people that you have their back. Mm -hmm. And I mean, 
it doesn't matter how much they're paying. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter if they're buying $10,000 of coffee mm-hmm. every day. Right. If they're being a jerk to all of your people, then like, yeah. Right. And they look to you to, to defend them. Yeah. And so I think that that is definitely empowering. And I think it's hard for employers like in a customer service or a customer facing industry to mm-hmm. be like, to say no. I think cause the, the hang up there for a business owner is always, we want their business, mm-hmm. but you have to, Put your people over right. what's good. I mean, it just, yeah, it's simple. And and I think for me, if you're going to treat the employees like shit, then I don't want your business. I don't, I don't care about your money. Like already you're proving that you're not understanding how humanity works. And so yeah. I don't want you in the shop. Like, and that's, and I, I mean, I feel very comfortable saying that, like, if you can't be respectful, if you can't treat people in the way that you should treat people, there's no reason for you to be in there and, and go to a place that it appreciates you in that way. But we just won't. Um, and I think that's really important to get across. And I think people in the service industry have, have learned that. Um, Does it mean oftentimes increasing your prices so you can pay your employees even better? You know what I mean? Like you're talking about how people in the service industry oftentimes get stomped on. And part of that is in the amount of money they get paid. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, waiters and waitresses get minimal salary, mm-hmm. rely fully on right. uh, getting tipped. And then, you know, I know coffee shops, restaurants operate on razor thin margins. Yep. Sometimes it's like, well, I guess we got to increase our prices so that we can pay our people better. Right. Is that, is that something that that's just an element of business? I think sometimes people don't um, understand that. And so I always try to make sure that people do grasp that in any company that you work for, we have our operating expenses and labor is considered an operating expense. The revenue pays for all those operating expenses. And that's how eventually you get to your net income. Um, I think sometimes that's just not understood to the lay consumer where they hear, well, you're raising the prices to pay people. It's like, yes, that is absolutely right. The prices, what you pay for pays for labor, pays for rent, pays for utilities. It pays for all those operating expenses and all those cost of goods. Um, And I think if, we as business people become more transparent and honest about that. People would understand that more, but they think that it's like this bad thing. It's like, no, this is how business works. Like this is how it operates. Um, and that's not to say there's, it's all good or it's all bad. There's just things that we just have to know and say, this is the fact a duck is a duck. Um, so that portion of it, yes, that is going to happen. But that increase of uh, price could be for a lot of things. Um, it could just be with inflation or rising costs. Right now, the supply chains are all fucked up. And so a lot of people are paying a lot more a lot of different ways. And so people have got to find a way to make this work. Um, it's not a perfect model uh, and it probably never will be, but we just have to kind of work with what we've got. Uh, and so, yeah, that absolutely happens. Um, and the other uh, part of the great resignation that I would say is that um, what I've come to realize over this is you just still, you know, be honest, treat people well, extend goodwill, and it should work out is what I believe. <laughs> um, and I could be wrong, but that's what I believe. I think that when I've talked to other business owners in town, many of them have felt handcuffed. Um, and that's not something I've ever felt comfortable with. I don't want to feel handcuffed um, by, mean by an employee, by an employer, by anyone or anything like that. And so we just say, this is how we operate. We're very honest. Like this is just, here's everything. Um, you can choose to stay here or you don't have to. And we've been fortunate that, and we haven't had many employees that are just like, I'm going to take off. Um, and we've had pretty solid turnover for the industry that we're in. Um, and we've just been maybe in a lot of ways, just lucky. Um, and we'll take that for now. And hopefully, you know, we all keep learning from this. One thing I did want to ask you, and we can wrap up here soon, but this has been so good. So I don't want to, I don't want to stop it early. Um, you're a 30 something year old business owner without a boss at Mm -hmm. all. But I mean, you have community, you have mm-hmm. people around you, but since you don't have a boss and you don't have a mentor, and I know how impactful mentors have been to you mm-hmm. in your life, 
what do you do to stay sharp? Not just in your craft as a, mm-hmm. a shop owner and a, a coffee maker and a roaster and, but like in your, your business acumen and just the new ways, you know, the new trends, the ways things are moving, like how do you kind of continue your education and continue your sharpening? Uh, I read a lot. I'm, I listen to a lot of podcasts. I mean, I do all the things that like, I think other people are doing right now to um, make sure that you stay involved. Um, I kind of went away from the coffee industry a bit, like not paying too much attention, but just recently I've started getting back and like paying attention to what's going on with farming and sustainability. Um, a lot of farms are working on um, making sure that their carbon footprint's a lot smaller than it has been. So there's a lot of interesting things going on and that's really helpful. Um, but a lot of it is you're accountable to your people. So we, we talk a lot about accountability and it works both ways. I think often it's very easy for bosses or supervisors to be like, well, you're accountable to me, but we're also accountable to them. So I have to make sure that I am sharp in terms of leadership, in terms of coffee, in terms of chocolate, um, and I have to find ways to do it. So that is motivation to figure out what I need uh, to to look at. And then I also still reach out to mentors and I still like talk to them and um, some of my mentor uh, mentee relationships have turned into more like friends, um, but it's nice when I can talk to them and we can interact and have conversations about things that are going on. Um, I really love finding things in other industries and seeing how it can apply to my in- industry. I think it just makes you think a little bit differently and changes your perspective. So that's always really fun for me. Um, often I'll listen to some of my friends that are doing amazing creative things and not really understand what they're doing, but then I'll hear something. I'm like, oh, that makes so much sense. And now I can apply this to the retail business that maybe I would never have noticed or known had I not talked to that person. I want to say like rewind eight years ago to when you and Chris were starting Mm -hmm. maybe day one, maybe the two weeks leading up. Would you do anything different? Um, that's a good question. And you don't have even, I mean, you don't have to like get into the the thick of it. I just mean like, I don't want to say like, do you have any regrets? Cause that's a, such a stupid question. But like, do you, do you look back on that time and say like, I'm, I'm really glad I did this and I'm glad I did it the way that I did. Yeah, I, I, I am. I think that uh, I'm a big believer in you just kind of learn as you go along. So I, I don't regret any of it. I don't think knowing what I knew back then, those are the decisions I made. And I have to be OK with that and respect sale of eight years ago. Uh, so, yeah, I, I'm, I'm happy with that because I wouldn't be who I am today if I didn't make those decisions. Um, and I, I don't want to get caught up in thinking too much of like, what if, because I think that can lead you down bad paths sometimes. I don't mind doing that. I'm like, okay, could we have done this differently? Or why did we do this? Or um, in the future now, what can we take from that experience that we had? Uh, but I I don't, I yeah, I wouldn't spend too much time thinking about, uh, I should have done this differently, yeah. or I could have done this differently. I mean, our paths are also different, but like when you are in a place in life where you're like, I am proud of what I've done. Mm-hmm. Then you have to look at like all the bumps, all the, the roadblocks, all mm-hmm. the shitty stuff that happens mm-hmm. along the way and, yeah. and consider it as part of what led you to where you're at. Yeah. And so I, I do think it's a, I think it's a very like interesting kind of thing for business owners to do is to kind of look back and say, cause when I look back, sometimes I'm like, I'm embarrassed by the stuff that mm-hmm. I did. I'm embarrassed by yeah. how prideful I was. Yeah. Um, I'm embarrassed by how, you know, lackadaisical mm-hmm. ab- about certain things that I was. Yeah. But at the same time, like all of those bad things led me to, to grow and change. Mm-hmm. And so like, it is, 
it's kind of it's kind of a fun, challenging like thing to ask yourself, um, especially when it's like in recent memory. I mean, mm-hmm. eight years is a long time ago, mm-hmm. but like you could probably remember it like it was yesterday. Oh yeah. Also. Yeah. Um, I'm gonna ask you a couple fun questions. Okay. What's your dream? Uh, so. Whenever I'm working in the office or in the shop, I'll usually do a double shot of espresso and then just like sparkling water on the side. Um, and I just, I love that pairing um, very much. Uh, but then besides that, I'll usually just do brewed coffee. So it's very like simple. There's Lame. nothing fancy or crazy. It's all, and I think most people that I know that are like uh, really into the coffee industry, you just kind of eventually turn into that. <laughs> it just straight coffee. I mean, it's like, yeah, like, you know, people who are into bourbon or that kind of stuff, yep. they start out with cocktails and eventually you just move to drinking yeah. bourbon neat yep. or, mi- or mix it with what you grew up mixing it with bourbon and Coke. Yeah. Or, um, you and I share a tattoo artist, which yeah. is a very interesting, yep. fun fact. Yeah. Um, will you tell me a little bit about like your recent tattoos yeah. and kind of what they mean to you? Yeah. Um, I, uh, so on my right arm from my elbow to my wrist, it's just like a, a small sleeve of tattoos. Um, but it's in honor of my little sister. Uh, she, her life was taken about almost, I guess a year and a half now. Um, and she was really close. I was closer to her than any of my other siblings. I know you're not supposed to pick favorites, uh, <laughs> but we were always really close. And yeah. she was the only one in my family that's ever transcended, um, uh, not only family, but just a good friend. So she was one of my best friends and obviously my little sister. So I wanted to honor her in some way. Um, so the first tattoo I got was a star that she had gotten um, when she was in Vegas for a trip. Uh, and so that uh, was her most infamous tattoo. Everyone knew that was her tattoo. So I got that um, on my wrist and then I realized, well, I want to kind of wrap the whole arm up with something. So the next one I got was Athena, the goddess of like war, um, but at the same time there's there's wisdom and there's some peacefulness to her, um, and I like that about that uh, specific character in mythology, and I thought that tied to my little sister very much, so um, I got that, and then I got uh, La Catrina, which is she is really the symbol for Day of the Dead in Mexico, uh, and that happened from an artist uh, that kind of created this really cool um, skull and uh, the elaborate hat and the marigolds. And um, I always love that. And and the Day of the Dead obviously is important in Mexican culture. And the last trip that we were planning on going on was to Mexico City to be to go to Day of the Dead. And we just never got to do that. So I really wanted something like that. Um, and then she always loved the Tree of Life. And it was the last tattoo she was going to get. Um, so uh, the Tree of Life kind of separates and connects Athena and La Catrina, which is really cool. Um, and Robert has just done a magnificent job with it. Uh, and I, I love this watching his artistry and just like how great he is at his craft because he was able to kind of pull that all together and just make a really cool image of it all. Um, so I, I love it. And I think that I know some people just get tattoos because it's addicting and they like it. I've always like try to find meaning to it. And I, I love that it is really cool. And if you don't know me or know the story behind it, they're really cool tattoos just to see. Uh, but at the same yeah, it's time, beautiful. Oh, thank you. And there's, and at the same time, there's just like a cool like story to it. So, Absolutely. um, yeah. And, and Robert, so talented. If you ever want a tattoo, like come to Lexington. <laughs> Seriously. He's a, he's a beast. I gave him a line work drawing of like a whale and he like created this magnificent, like realistic, like drawing and just, 
and he said to me, he said, if you're going to get a tattoo, get a tattoo. Yeah. And I was yeah. like, all right, let's go. <laughs> I, I think that's the other great thing is all the outside the star, which I wanted to be exactly like the one she had, but the other three, I just gave him inspiration and he came up with it. So I think that's the other really cool thing about it. There's the story of my sister, but there's also the story of this amazing artist and how he's able to write a story on your body um, in his craft. And I just think that's really cool and fun. That's amazing. Thanks for sharing that. Um, and thanks for coming on the podcast. I love, this has been awesome. Like your wisdom, your knowledge, everything. Um, it's amazing what you've been able to build and do in this city. Um, the relationships you've built, the teams you've built, the shops, like all of it. I think the city as a whole has a great respect for you and they owe you a lot. And so um, it was awesome getting to interview you for the podcast. I really appreciate it, man. Oh, thank you. I appreciate it. It was really fun. and. Um yeah, this was great. Good times, coffee, Brad. Maybe next time stuff. we'll do one at night and we'll drink whiskey the whole time. Oh, perfect. Talk <laughs> Even about <better>. nothing else <laughs> that matters. All right, well, thanks, Al. Thank you.